This is Amateur Logic, episode 76 for March 15th, 2015. This episode of Amateur Logic was brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com. Got cabin fever? Well, get out or hunker down with ICOM. Hello and welcome to AmateurLogic.tv 76. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And as always, what what is it? What's the tagline we say here? we got a great show for you this month. <laughs> we're not lying. And we're not lying. Yeah. Again. Again. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. What's been going on down under, Peter? Well, um, hmm, not a lot really, to be honest, but um, there's... Uh, by the time this episode comes out, though, uh, it will have been your birthday and my birthday. So this is sort of like the birthday edition. And, of course, we've got St. Pat's Day coming up in a few days' time. I we guess should have brought some green beer. Oh, uh, yeah, St. Patty's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Peter. When is your birthday? What day? M- mine's on the 14th, and if my memory serves me correctly, I think George is on the 13th. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. There we go. And yeah. my mother's so on the we're Pisceans. And my mother's Sorry, on Tommy? the 12th. My son's on the 18th. So wow. Love yeah. birthday. March, March is full of birthdays yeah. and green beer. What have you been up to, Tommy? Well, just been gone a lot and uh, playing around with my new Raspberry Pi, my Pi 2, the quad-core one. It's pretty fast, man. I've been yeah. kind of enjoying that thing. I haven't done a lot with mine yet. I've done a little bit. What about you, Peter? Did you finally get yours in? No, I, uh, I've got mine here, okay, and I've played with it, uh, and I've, I've run it as a general-purpose computer, but uh, I, it's still, still um, the software uh, didn't seem to be, to be optimised uh, for, multi, for the multi-cores, so um, I think there's probably going to be some improvements, uh, I hope, in the future, which will just uh, improve it, but it is a lot better than the original Raspberry Pi. Oh, yeah. I, I would say the software is not near about there yet. People are just now, you know, yeah. starting to think about that. Yeah, if you're if you're running something other than probably the Raspbian Distro, one of the really lightweight ones, it's probably not going to be quite as snappy just because of the, the bloat of it. Yeah. You know, that mm. Raspbian is really lightweight. It's still, you only have a gig of RAM. True. So, I mean... Still yeah. got the limit, yeah. physical limitations. By the way, I should mention um, uh, before we forget that a uh, bit of sad news: the passing of Leonard Nimoy, of Star Trek fame, of course. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yes, uh, real uh, sad. But uh, what a great actor and uh, uh, somebody who uh, was also a great um, film producer. From memory, I think he directed uh, Three Men and a Baby. Did he? I did not know that. I but mean, he was a the, good guy. I know. I know he did a lot of charity yeah. things, and uh, he was just really a downright a good person. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah he was. 
And uh, I, I think, though, just on that subject of that film, do you remember the when that film came out and the alleged uh, ghost incident, uh, how there was supposed to be a ghost somewhere in the film? I didn't, no. do not know anything about that one. Oh, yeah, well, you, I if think you my wife and, made me yeah, watch Wikipedia. that one time. It was the only time I really saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, again, what a great actor, uh, along with all the Star Trek ac actors, um, you know, very inspirational. Yeah, uh, John uh, W1GNL in the chat room there says that he was a singer, too. From far beyond the galaxies, I've journeyed to this place to study the behavior patterns of the human race. And I find them highly illogical. Well... Let's get on into a few emails here. You know, I don't think we did any last time, and we were a little like the time before. And Yeah, we had a lot of content. We did. Well, let's get on into these, and yours is the first one, Tommy. Okay. I've got one from Vinny, KA2NCD. It says, hi, my name's Vinny, and having a hard time getting my ICOM ID51A to communicate with my Raspberry Pi hotspot. He's using the Maryland D-Star image for his Pi software. And he's gone through every nook and cranny to speak of. The Pi is connecting into reflectors. However, the radio won't talk to the Pi. Um, I do watch Amateur Logic and enjoy your insights in many of the areas of ham radio. I would appreciate any information you might come up with regarding this nagging issue. What do you think? Well, I, I, I think more than likely it's a kind of a common problem. You're going to have to set your radio to duplex mode, like you're communicating with a repeater, even though that's a simplex device. Yeah. The software looks at the header that comes from the radio, the data header, and just make sure that you set the offset to zero instead of 600, like you normally would for a 2 meter or, mm -hmm. or five, 5 kilohertz or megahertz for a UHF. And, uh, and then I think you'll probably be okay. I'm pretty sure that's, from the sounds of it, that's probably what's going on. Yeah, this was, uh, well... He just sent that the other day, so we don't we haven't heard back from him yet as to whether no, he's tried that or not. No, I haven't heard. Well, Peter, what have you got on your email stack? Well, my first email here is from Dennis, K-A-0-Z-I-S, in Wichita, Kansas. And he thought he, uh, you guys would get a kick out of this pick. And it's a Lego case for a Raspberry Pi. And, uh, yeah, I think it's great. Lego makes a great case for Raspberry Pis. Before you take it down, George... I, uh, as a bit of a trivia question, I was uh, uh, trying to work out which Raspberry Pi model that particular one is. I think it's the Raspberry Pi Model B, but uh, I, I stand to be corrected. I don't know. What do you think, Tommy? That could be the original model there. It, it, it looks like probably the original Model B just from glancing at it, but um, I'm not totally positive. Yeah. But mm. on a side note about the Lego case, that's a great idea. And I actually may try that. My nephew left some Legos at my house. Okay. So I've got some to play with. But I uh, also saw on a YouTube video one time I was looking around about making, a, if you want to call it a supercomputer, out of several of them. Mm -hmm. And I saw uh, some school or someplace over in the U.K. actually uh, made the, the case to hold all of the boards out of Legos, too. Yeah, you know, I've seen mm. some, some Lego cases before, and I just hadn't thought about it until I saw that picture right here. And something about that one just really made me want to go look for some Lego, but I know there's not any here. Well, they still make them. They still make them. Lowe's has got some, some pretty nice Raspberry Pi cases, too. But, 
You know, it took a little modifying to yeah to yeah. get it to work. Yeah, but they the, work. Well, the nice well. thing about that case, which differentiates it from others, is the top is open, so you can see the circuit board, but it's still held in place. Yeah, yeah, and you have access yeah. to the GPIO pins on the top. Yeah. Well, Peter, what have you got for us this month? Well, George, uh, I've uh, I got some news from AMSAT.org that uh, there'd be a bit of uh, slow scan television being sent down from the ISS, so I decided to go and try and receive it. This month's segment is inspired by some news I saw at www.amsat.org. The news was that for a couple of days only, the International Space Station was going to transmit slow-scan television pictures on 145.800 MHz, This is not the first time that slow-scan pictures have been sent from the ISS and received by people on the ground. However, this time the pictures would be sent by the Russians aboard the ISS. You don't need to be a radio amateur to receive and decode the signals. You don't even need a ham radio. All you need is a computer with a sound card, a radio that can receive an FM signal on 145.8 MHz, and an antenna, and a bit of cabling. My setup was relatively simple. I temporarily set up a 5 8 ground-independent whip, or vertical, on my carport, and connected this via coax to my Alinko DR150. I then connected an audio cable from the speaker jack of the Alinko to the microphone input of the sound card on my computer. From a hardware perspective, that's all that's needed. No switching or antenna tuning required. For those of you that don't have a ham radio, you can use a TV dongle and run SDR Sharp on it. See episode 44 for details on how to do this. What you'll need to do is to take the audio output coming out of the speaker jack on your computer, or rather on your sound card, and feed that back into the microphone jack on your sound card so that it can be decoded by SSTV software. So now you have your hardware set up, what now? You'll need to follow the news at amsat.org under the ARISS uh, tab for details of the next time that the ISS will be transmitting slow scan television. It doesn't happen that often, so you may have to wait a few months. Let's say you find out that the ISS will be transmitting on February the 21st through 23rd. On February the 21st, you can go to www.issfanclub.com and in the top left-hand corner, you can see a live graphic of where the ISS is in the world at that time. You can also set your location and then press Predict Pass Details to work out when the ISS will be passing over your location. The times listed are Coordinated Universal Time, otherwise known as UTC, and the pass is rated from 1 to 5 stars. 5 stars is a really good pass with the ISS passing overhead, whereas 1 star would be a pass where the ISS is lower on the horizon. To decode slow-scan television on Windows, I use MMSSTV. You need to set up the software after installation. Go to Option, Setup MMSSTV, 
Click on the MISC tab and make sure that you have your sound card selected. On the main page, click on Auto under RX mode and then in control panel or using the volume control on your receiver, set the green bar under Help so that it's about a third to a half the way up. Now here's what happened when I was listening at the beginning of a pass by the ISS over my location. Like most passes, it generally takes about 10 minutes to fly from horizon to horizon. As you can see, I caught the tail end of one of the SSTV transmissions. The transmissions last about two minutes, and then there's a three-minute gap between transmissions. I was not perturbed. I simply waited for three minutes, and then this is what happened. I'd now received my image. There are controls in MMSSTV to filter and enhance the image received. I had a little bit of interference on my receive signal, but otherwise I received the image pretty well. That's not quite the end of this story, however. The AMSAT website, under the ARIS tab, provides details on how you can send away for a QSL card to confirm your reception. For this particular SSTV exercise, celebrating 80 years since the birth of Yuri Gagarin, I could send away for a printed version of an individual commemorative diploma with my name, surname and call sign. Receiving slow scan television from the ISS is fun, simple and open to everyone. I encourage everyone to give it a try. Fun stuff, Peter. You know, I did that uh, last time. But they were yeah. doing the pictures. Yeah. I, I wanted to do it this time, but I wasn't around when the passes were coming mm. over my area. But yeah, it's cool. it's a lot of fun, and I've done it on a couple of occasions previously. And, uh, you know, it's it's really nice to get, say, a, a Russian QSL card. I've actually even gotten um, uh, some QSL cards from other contacts with the space station previously, I think using Packet. So, um, yeah, this is another one to add to the collection. And the, the, I was very lucky. Uh, you, the picture that I received there was actually of the commemorative um, uh, diploma. And if you actually received that picture, which is one of about 20 that were sent, then you could actually uh, get the diploma itself. And so that's what I've sent away for, and uh, hopefully that'll come in a few weeks. Oh, cool. Yeah. I wonder why they don't use EasyPal or one of the digital uh, slow scan television modes, you know? Oh, 
they probably want to make it as simple and easy for people as possible. DigiPal is fine, but you often uh, need to send um, uh, what is it? Or, or, uh, send a correction uh, picture. I think from memory, when using digital, if the if all the digital data is not received correctly, so um, it may not be suitable in that particular uh, environment. But uh, the good thing about MMSSTV, uh, apart from being analog, is that it is extremely simple to use. You set it on auto, and it does the rest. And that, and like you said, that's a fun thing. If you don't have your license yet, you don't really have to have a transmitter. No license required. It's a fun radio project for oh, yeah. anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is, if you, uh, you know, if, if you've actually. Uh, don't have a ham radio, you can um, get uh, one of those uh, TV dongles, uh, and if you attach an antenna to it and run SDR sharp, you can quite easily receive 145.800. As I mentioned in the video, once you're doing that and you've got the audio coming out of your um, uh, your speaker jack on your sound card, you then need to feed it, that audio back into your microphone and then separately run um, uh, a decoding program like MMSSTV. Uh, to um, to decode the actual picture. Yeah. Or, or you could use a scanner if you had a scanner. Yeah. Or, or, mm-hmm. And yeah. you can also do, like I think you did, record it. Yeah. Record the audio, and then you can go back, if you're worried about missing it, then you can play the audio file back into your yeah. into your program that's going to do I, the decoding until you get it right. I don't know if I mentioned it. When I, when I did it a while back, I recorded it for that very reason. In mm-hmm. case I didn't have everything just right, I'd get another chance. I actually pulled it into Cool Edit Pro and did a little tweaking on the audio file a little bit to to try to improve things some. Hey, <laughs> nobody said you couldn't do that. No, no, it's all fair. Well, let's get back into the emails here. I've got one from Dennis, KK0DJ, and he had something to say to all three of us. He said, Peter, that was a great segment on the use of Linux Mint Cinnamon. And Tommy, he said... I've wanted to attend the Capital City Ham Fest for years, but uh, it's just been a little too far from the cornfields of southeast Iowa. He lived in Pascagoula for a bit over a, a year to becoming a ham, and he was a radio man in the Navy, um, and he was attached to a, uh, a nuke attack sub undergoing refueling at Ingalls Shipyard in Pascagoula. So he says he has a fondness for the state of Mississippi. And, you know, I hear from a lot of hams, who who were in the navy that that went through down there. oh yeah i actually even work with some people a lot, a lot of people come through that part of the state uh, one yeah. reason or another military wise yeah but a little more on here he uh he had a note to me too and he said george i made the decision to buy the new and improved raspberry pi and will now be forging ahead with uh, d-star instead of going the yezu direction i've been on the fence for years about uh, doing this, but um, he's having fun with the various toys uh, that you can put together for a QSO. Uh, he said, thanks for putting your segment together, and of course, uh, thanks to Mike for helping us with that. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. He says he's contacting MCM today to order a new uh, Pi 2B to add to his growing number of experimental Raspberry Pis. And he also said, and this is to all of us, I hope uh, that others are sending you encouraging words every now and then. It's very obvious that y'all spent a lot of time putting these together and uh, from planning to taping to doing it all. I just can't say uh, thanks enough. And 
etc., etc. 73 from ALTV Viewer Land. That's a good title there. Yeah, ALTV it is. Viewer yeah. Land. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. thanks, Dennis. Uh, Tommy, uh, quick question. Um, you played with the, uh, the Raspberry Pi and D-Star. Do you think there would be some merit in actually running um, the D-Star program and everything on the Raspberry Pi 2? Do you think it would be uh, uh, would run better with the 2 rather than with the original one? Well, I, honestly, there's, there's so little load on it for the D-Star apps that I'm running right now. I mean, uh, it, it should work fine. For most everything, mm-hmm. but I mean, I don't really see any really any benefit from just discarding the other one and switching. Yeah, because it, okay. it's so a little so low overhead. Yeah. Well, that means then that perhaps for the people that are upgrading to the Raspberry Pi two, they've now got a use for their old spare uh, Raspberry Pis. Oh yeah, the first absolutely. generation. Yeah. Well, Tommy, what have you got there for your next email? Yeah, I've got one. Got one here from Steve WB six LOT says, uh, just got a couple of new Raspberry Pi version 2 boards, but I'm having a problem getting them to boot up with my DVAP. All works well with older Raspberry Pis, Model B, but no boot with the new boards. Do they require a different Linux boot-up system or something? Um, actually, the same image should boot up. The really? Yeah, it should boot fine. You're just not going to take advantage of the the extra kernel or the extra uh, cores in the cpu there but as far as booting it should do fine because i actually downloaded the new image and i put it on my new pi and then i actually redid my old one with the same image for my segment this month so the same image worked on both of those really i don't see any reason why it wouldn't work for the older ones too okay Uh, i'm not really sure um I did email him back and ask him if he burned it with using uh, Win32 disk imager. Uh, I've had a few few people that didn't go through that problem and just kind of copied the file over there. Oh, yeah, that long. So uh, maybe it was something like that. Uh, I haven't heard back from him on that yet either. Okay. Well, you know, this past weekend I went to Orange, Texas. I didn't go to Dallas where you were, and it was all icy up there. And you didn't go to Orange, California. Didn't go to Orange, California. I went to Orange, Texas, which is... Right on the Texas and Louisiana line. Yeah. Uh, right close to Beaumont and not okay. far from, you know, Lake Charles and, uh-huh. you know, a, a lot of uh, Parasite cities down there. They have a pretty nice ham fest and they wanted me to come down there and uh, do a little presentation. And we talked a little bit about amateur logic and some of the 10 year history and, oh, and cool. some of the stuff that we've gone through here. They Let stay us, awake. They did stay awake. Oh, well, good. Well, if a ham fest is going to open on Saturday morning, I like to get there on Friday night if I can and have a look around at all the good stuff before everybody else gets here and picks it all up. Well, I'm talking with L.B. Little here. L.B., it's good to see you. Thank you, George. Uh, call sign is WB5YDA. I'm here at the Orange County Convention Center in Orange, Texas, and there's more than one club that gets together and puts this event on, isn't it? It's split between the Jefferson County Club and the Orange Club, but we have helpers from all the clubs in the areas. I'm president of the Beaumont Club, and we have people here from Big Thicket Amateur Radio Club. So uh, Jefferson County Amateur Radio Club and the Orange Amateur Radio Club are the main events here. And, and uh, they're the ones that put it on. So, Okay, but there, there are more clubs than that represented here. Yes, yes, most definitely. They're from people from all over Louisiana and come in here and, and North Texas. So we have quite a few people. 
So why Orange? Because of this nice convention center here? Well, it started out, I think, 15, 17 years ago at the VFW Hall. It was uh, put on before, it, and it's just, it's just grown. Uh, they just got through building this event center about two or three years ago, and uh, they, we jumped on it, you know, uh, Orange Club did anyway. This is Friday night, and the, the event doesn't officially open until, is it 7.30 in the morning? Yes, 7.30 in the morning until 2 o'clock or something like that. Usually it's how long it lasts. So get a, you know, And then they have, everybody kind of hangs around for the drawing after that, <laughs> for the radios and stuff. So we're here on Friday night, though, and, of course, there's people getting set up their, their tables. And, well, you said they sold all the tables here, but apparently some folks aren't going to come in until Saturday morning. But there's more going on than just that tonight, isn't it? Oh, yeah. They have an, uh, they're selling uh, 50-50 tickets. uh have a good meal to have. They had barbecue and uh, links and sausage and all kinds of cakes over there where they're, they're you know, real sinful. <laughs> yeah, I had some of that uh, beef brisket a minute ago. I mean, that, that thing was like a roast. Yes. It was big. Yes, the, the, the gentleman that does that, his name is Mike Manchak, and he does a fantastic job. He's got a pit that he pulls around and does it, and everything. he's a member of the Orange Club. Matter of fact, he's the, uh, the treasurer of the Orange Club. Okay, well, I appreciate you talking with us, LB. We're going to look around a little more here and see what's going on. Thank you, George. I'm glad to have you. Well, Saturday morning arrived, and things are really hopping here in Orange. Good to meet you, George. Rocky, N5MTX. So you've, you've got something to do with this Hamfest, don't you? What's your position? Well, I'm kind of a chairman, so to speak. So, uh, But every year I have to get everybody together and say we're going to have a ham fest so and usually that takes about three or four months before it happens so uh, so been doing this about 15 years so we pretty well know what we need to do it's just just doing it just doing it which club are you primarily affiliated with yes with the orange amateur radio club located in orange texas so and i'm also the president of, of the club how would you say the crowd has been this year compared to previous years this year we've had i think a better uh, results and turnout typically this ham fest has four to five hundred attendees well rocky i appreciate you talking with us and it, it was good to meet you and everyone else here I'm, I'm gonna have to come back yes do come back Well, occupying the entire north wall at the Hamfest here is Richard Lenore. Hi, Richard. Hey. Um, yeah, call sign is KI5DX. I'm one of the owners of Maine Trading Company. We're out of Paris, Texas. And I'm seeing you more and more everywhere I go these days. We make a lot of ham fests. Last year we made 27, and um, starting this year off, we've already done a couple, but this weekend is our first weekend of seven shows in a row. Wow. So what states do you basically try to cover? Well, we're out of Paris, Texas, so we try to go out three to 400 miles, and that's about as far as we go. You must have brought just about the entire store with you. Oh, no. Well, there's lots more in the store, but we have, um, you know, we carry ICOM, Kenwood, Alenco, LDG, all the MFJ products. And that's the big comment. They say, how do you get all this stuff down here? 
and um, we have a 16-foot trailer, and we just stack it high and stack it deep. So how's the Hamfest been for you this year? It's a good show. This orange show, um, last year was our first year here. They invited us down, and um, we told them we would come again if they'd have us back, and it's it's been another good show this year. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm impressed. This is the first year I've been to this show, and uh, I would say a good good crowd here, and I've seen a lot of gear going in and out the door. Yes, a lot of gear, and um, of course we take trade-ins, and behind the tables you can't see here, the, lots of stuff is coming in, and um, I've been seeing a, a lot of lot of activity out here. I think all the tables were sold out, which you don't see that at a lot of ham fest now. Yeah, that's what they were telling me earlier. So you do take trade-ins, and you'll take these back and clean them and polish them and put them back on the market? You bet. You bet. Um, yeah, and we trade for most anything, not just radio gear. Last year we traded for a boat, a camper, motorcycles. I mean, whatever. We're, we just help the people get the gear they want. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to tell us about Maine Trading Company in particular that kind of sets you all apart from the rest? Well, this year we're six years in business. And uh, we started out real small. We still consider ourselves very small. Mom and pop operation. Um, we're there every day, Christy and I both. Um, our kids are there doing their homework in the evenings. So it's a true mom and pop deal. We've got a website up and running, maintradingcompany.com. And um, we want your business. If you're in the South, if you're out of Hamfest, you're going to see this sign right here. And what does that mean, Richard? MainTradingCompany.com. Thanks. Thanks, George. You know, those guys have really come on strong in the last few years. Yeah, they, they must be growing or something or at least, like, getting around a lot because I see those everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they were there. Also, um, Houston Amateur Radio Supply was there. Our uh, buddy from uh, Palmetto Antennas oh, yeah. was there. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Uh, a number of others. You know that guy from, uh, I don't know his name. He's he's from the Dallas area that shows up in the Jackson Ham Fest. We always see him in Dayton. And he has a, a lot of that Radio Shack stuff. You know, the guy who always has a bunch of tables there. We bought wire from him one year, those little spools of wire. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, know I can't think of his name. But yeah, I don't, I don't know his name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, That's he, who we bought the batteries from, too. Yeah. He, he's at a lot of ham fest. He was uh-huh. there as yeah. well. Well, right now, let's take a break for just a moment and visit with one of our sponsors that helps make Amateur Logic possible. And, uh, Tommy, this, this is probably going to be my next linear amplifier right here. All right. Ameritron's new ALS-1306 is a 1.5 to 54 megahertz solid-state near-legal-limit FET no-tune amplifier. It's got 1,200 watts PEP output on all bands, including 10 and 6 meters, instant automatic band switching, no tuning, no warm-up, and no tubes to pamper. ALS-1306's reliability is ensured by using eight rugged MRF-150 power FETs mounted on a dual heavy-duty heatsink properly arranged to distribute heat over a large surface. Single-power device amplifiers can't do that. ALS-1306 outputs up to 1,200 watts of clean SSB power with just 100 watts of drive. 
Add an optional interface cable for your radio, and automatic band switching lets you put your amplifier and power supply out of the way. The ALS-1306 automatic band switching reads band data from your transceiver and automatically changes bands as you make adjustments on your radio. Built-in SWR protection prevents amplifier damage if you accidentally switch to a wrong band, use the wrong antenna, or have high VSWR. Overpower protection prevents forward and reflected power from exceeding safe levels. Output power is automatically reduced to prevent amplifier damage by controlling ALC to the exciter. The ALS-1306 is powered by a 50-volt DC, 50-amp switching power supply, which comes with a pre-wired cable. This hash-free, fully regulated switching power supply is only 12 pounds and can be placed conveniently out of the way. The power supply comes wired for 220 volts AC, but can be changed to 110 volts. It draws less than 25 amps at 110 volts or 12 amps at 220 volts. If you're looking for a modern amplifier for your ham shack, then you owe it to yourself to look at the Ameritron ALS-1306. Visit Ameritron.com today and check out the full line of the world's most popular HF linear amplifiers. Well, there you go. Yeah, I'd and like to have one of those bad boys, too. I would, too. I, well, I had that one on the bench here for a few days. I had to get it right back to them. Yeah. Those things are, are going pretty fast now. They told me that, that solid-state amplifiers the last few years have really started picking up. Yeah. And I can see why. It looks like a nice one. Yeah. Well, Peter, have you got another email for us? Yes, I've got an email here from Jocelyn KD8, the, I think it was RX, really, by in writing here, the RX. Anyway, Jocelyn says, there's a distro specific for hams, but it uses Ubuntu. It's called Andy's Ham Radio Linux. And uh, Jocelyn also says that they've switched back to Windows due to difficulties finding a Linux program that can reliably control an IC7200, uh, 7200. Uh, yeah, I, I can't comment on that. I'm not having used the 7200, but uh, maybe somebody out there can, um, uh, in the chat room or elsewhere, can uh, let us know of one that works reliably. Yeah, yeah. Live CDs are a good way to try out. Yeah, they're nice. You can yeah. actually burn if you want to play with linux you can actually burn it to a thumb drive i've actually got linux on this one really yeah you can put it in your laptop and boot up from it so i can boot up and play around with it at the hotel when i'm out of town do you ever do it hmm? oh cool and you just carry it with you all the time you got a linux in my pocket man <laughs> uh, reminds me of a song yeah. a different one well, I've got another email here, and this one comes from Rich, WB2GXM, and he says, George, Tommy, and Peter, I'm so with you on Radio Shack, watching uh, Amateur Logic Live uh, right now, and uh, you're talking about the demise of Radio Shack. About 1970, when I was a preteen and a novice ham at the same time, I paired my carefully constructed Heath Kit DX60B with my pride and joy receiver, a realistic DX150A, which I saved up long and hard to buy. And I used that combo for some good CW over the years. Worked a lot of hams and played some interesting games of chess via CW. I uh, listened to a huge amount of shortwave broadcast with it also back when shortwave listening was hot and wonderful. I, too, will miss Radio Shack. They have been around for my entire life and so now it's a different life rest in peace radio shack you know it, it's still kind of 
makes me sad to think about it. Yeah, too. it does. You know, if you think about it, they've really been gone for a while. Oh yeah, but yeah. the whole the whole transition from when they had the cool stuff's kind of saddening anyway. But sort of seems sort of more permanent now. You know, every few days I will uh, do a little Google search for Radio Shack, Radio Space Shack. And look at the latest articles that have come out, you know, because now it's a little further into the bankruptcy and all these guys are trying to weasel each other out of the money. Oh, really? And it's kind of interesting to, to see what's going on. Still no definitive word on what's going to happen with those stores that remain open. Yeah. You know, I mean, they may even eke through and survive. Who knows? Who knows? They'll probably never be. It won't ever be like it used to be no. when it was cool, but. Anyway. Yeah, it's just a uh, bygone era that, uh, you know, I guess that's why we got uh, the Internet and uh, mail order now. Yeah, you know, I was looking around my shack the other day, and I've got a radio shack, you know, uh, a clock that's mm-hmm. uh, set by WWP yeah. and all that stuff. I got, it's like tons of just little radio shack things all over the place. I still use, I've had that thing for, must have been probably 15 years well you know they they really used to have some cool things in there like do you remember the little minimus seven speakers oh yeah they were like the first people to really have those little metal box speakers that had so much bass for a tiny speaker i remember when they came out back in the 70s with uh it was either a five or a seven band graphic equalizer Mm -hmm. you could add to your stereo and it was less than 100 bucks and they were always coming out with things like that and yeah uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe they quit inventing things. Do people like that. even have stereos anymore? I do. Well, I know you well, do, yeah. but yeah. you know, normal. And, and you should mention the kits as well that they used to stock. Uh, you know, the fact that mm-hmm. you could build a whole lot of uh, interesting gadgets and things yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Different time. Yeah. Well, Tommy, what are you doing for us this month? I know you I got. I thought I was going to read an email, but I think I'll hold off on that. Yeah, if you got a video instead? I do. I actually got a video to a, a very common a solution to a very common problem, and it's actually pretty easy to implement. If you're like me, you've got quite a few of these little Raspberry Pis around doing various and assorted things from running your DHAP or DV Mega to tinkering around with web programming and various and assorted things. If you've ever done like me and just didn't take the time to do a proper shutdown like you should, you've probably corrupted the file system. I've been pretty lucky so far. These things have been out for about three years and I've only had one card that got corrupted so bad from doing that that I couldn't recover from it. And that happened to be the one I used back here most of the time for other things and I lost a good bit of work. So um, I've seen other people with the same problem and decided to come up with an easy solution for it. I don't always have the keyboard hooked up and sometimes if I need to power it down, I'll just pull a plug and, and hope for the best. And I got burned on it once. Let's look at an easy way to do a shutdown and keep that from happening. And while we're at it, I may as well go ahead and take care of reboot also. Because occasionally you want to reboot it. The things are pretty stable, but you know, occasionally it does need to happen. We only need a few things. We're going to need, obviously, the Pi. It doesn't matter which one you have. This is the original 256 meg. Model B one, but it should work the same. Just watch the pinouts. I'm going to use a small breadboard just to show you. And I bought this Adafruit Pi Cobbler kit and put it together. And it makes playing around with GPIO pins on the Pi really easy. On the Pi itself, 
these pins are designated for various and assorted things. The ones next to the end, closest to the SD card, are the 3.3 volts and the 5 volt pins. So we want to make sure that we match those up with here so we don't blow our GPIO pins out on our Pi. So I can see by looking at here, this is 3.3 and this is 5. So I'll make sure that when I put things together that they're corresponding to that. So we'll go ahead and press this down on the board. Always put the white strip closest to the power pins. And we'll hook this up like so. Again, the white one's going to where my power pins are. I went ahead and pre-configured the OS and wireless networking so I can SSH in from my computer and show you. That way I can record the video for it. Works the same way with a keyboard and a mouse hooked up to it. But this is just for demonstration purposes. So I've got that connected. Let's go ahead and put some power to the Pi. If you played around with the GPIO pins on the Arduino and any push buttons, you, you realize that you've probably got to have a pull-up or a pull-down resistor to, to bring it high or low so you can use your program to trap for the push button. But on the Raspberry Pi, you can actually do that in software and go ahead and set it high or low. And we'll do that. The other thing is we need to pay attention to the pinout. And I've got the diagram up here. Let's talk about what we're going to use. I'm going to hook up two of these buttons. I'm going to hook one for a reset and one for a power down or a shutdown. That'll do a clean power down sequence for us. And because we don't need the pull up or pull down resistors, I only really need two wires. So I don't have to hook up anything to it except the button. So we're going to take these and find two pins that are next to each other that are suitable for our purposes. And this, this is actually the ground and GPIO 23. So I think we'll use that one and we'll use a ground and GPIO 25. And that'll give us both what we need. For expediency, I went ahead and typed in the code for this just so we don't have to sit here and type it, but we'll explain how it works. I've made a folder called scripts. And I've got a program in here called Pi Control. And we'll go ahead and edit it by typing sudo nano, nano is our editor, dash w, and pycontrol.py is the program that we're going to use. So this is how it works. This is Python, and we're going to import the GPIO library, and we'll call it GPIO in lowercase. Import the time library and import the OS library so we can issue the OS commands. I'm going to define the pin that I want to use for shutdown to be pin 23. I want to define the reboot pin to be 25. We're going to set up the GPIO library. The GPIO numbers are not the same as the number of the pinout. So use this diagram and make sure that you match that up. So we're going to use the one that's on the 5 volt side, which is away from the edge of the pie. And we're going to go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 to find pin 23, GPIO 23. And then we'll go do the same thing and we'll find 25. We're going to go ahead and set up the GPIO pin 23. And we're going to call it making an input. And we're going to go ahead and set the internal 
pull up or pull down resistor I was telling you to make it high and so it's always going to be high do the same thing for the reboot pin down here we're creating a function a function is basically just a set of code that you can address by name and in your in the flow of your program when you call that name it'll jump over and run that code and return it sometimes it returns a value sometimes it doesn't we defined one for shutdown and we defined one for reboot and we're going to basically going to issue these system commands and this is what you would type at your SSH prompt to do a shutdown sudo for super user shutdown command dash h and now to do it immediately shutdown dash h is for halt and we may as well go ahead and take care of rebooting also while we're here and we'll go ahead and make this one sudo reboot now the next lines of code are a little bit different if you're not familiar with programming this sets an event for the GPIO so it doesn't sit there and pull a library function non-stop it sets up an event and when whatever you tell it happens the code will jump over and run what's called a callback function at when that event happens but I'm going to post this code in the show notes and you can just get it and copy it and use it verbatim like it is just make sure that you pay attention to the pinout number that we've defined at the top so to set up this event we're going to set up the shutdown pin number for when it goes low for GPIO falling and the callback function that we mentioned is going to be shutdown and it's going to actually execute this function so we did the same thing basically for the reboot pin set it up GPIO when it goes low we're going to call the reboot callback and this bounce time if your buttons bounce when you push it it could have multiple presses in this instance it really doesn't matter because it's either going to shut down or reboot so it's not hurting anything but if you want to tweak it change those values if you need to and then we're going to have this while loop while one which is always going to be true it's going to sit there and sleep for one second not really do any work that keeps the program from terminating we're going to set this little python program up to run when the pi boots up and it'll always be ready okay so now that we've got our program let's go ahead and make sure that we've got our pins hooked up and I'll, I'll use the red for reboot and we decided we were going to use pin 23 and there's 23 and the ground and the next one we're going to do is going to be 25 in the ground okay so I've got the two buttons there we need to set the program so that it'll run at boot up time like I mentioned a few minutes ago so once you've got your program in there, hit Control X. If you had made any changes, it would have asked you if you wanted to save them. So hit Y and enter, and it would save them. So let's go edit the rc.local file. That's like the old auto exec bat file, if you remember that. And that will allow this program to start at boot up time. So let's go slash etc. And we'll do sudo nano dash w rc.local. Go all the way down to the bottom and type in the following command right before exit zero. sudo python, which is the interpreter we're going to run, and the location to the program that we've got. And this is mine, home slash pi slash scripts slash pi control dot py. And put the ampersand at the end. 
that's critical because that's going to actually allow this to run sort of as a service. It's going to be a process that sits off by itself and monitors the GPIO. So we'll hit Control X and save modified buffer. Yes for Y and enter to save it. And now all we need to do is reboot our Pi. So let's try it out. Red is going to be reboot. Black is going to be shut down. And I'm just going to try the shutdown one. So let's go ahead and hit it. System is going down for a halt. So it's working. If you watch for these lights on the Pi to quit flashing, then you'll be good. And I usually give it just a few seconds after that. And now I can unplug the power. It's booted back up and we're back in. So I want to test the reboot button. So I'm red was reboot. So let's hit that. System is going down for a reboot, so it looks like we're successful. I have one more thing I want to show you along the same lines. A lot of times you have, like on my DV Mega here, we have a daughter board on the top, and the GPIO pins are not going to be so easy to get to. There's another solution. If you remember David PD7L that made the RCDDB remote little app, he's got another one called SSH Buttons. And it's not really tied to IRCDDB, but it's pretty handy. You know, there's only an Android version right now. He says he's working on an iOS one. Let's add another one. My command is going to be sudo. I'll just do reboot. It's just less typing. Okay, and we'll say okay. And now, as you can see, we're logged into our Pi here. I'll issue shutdown. You can see over here that the Pi is actually going down. It came back with an okay response. That's a pretty cool program. He's going to rewrite it for iOS. It's not out right now, but look for it in the future. But if you're an Android user, then, then uh, it's worth checking out. Pretty cool, Tommy. Yeah, you know, I've been burned by that, like I said, by just unplugging it, yeah. just taking the quick way out. But, but uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's really easy. Um, so, no reason mm. hardly not to do it. You know, Tommy, I'd like to see um, what you just implemented there, implemented as actually part of the Raspberry Pi board in its next iteration. In other words, have a couple of little buttons on the circuit board itself that do exactly what your software does. In other yeah. words, shut That'd it down nice. or reboot. Wouldn't cost very much extra to do, but would uh, uh, you know add a lot of extra functionality to the board, I think. Yeah, you know, I think there's some pins on there that are actually dedicated for a reboot, but uh, yeah. some of the Pi, I have, I have three different model Pies there at the house, and they don't all have those pins on them, so I went with this because it was common. Yeah. yeah. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that would be a pretty nice enhancement to it, Peter. I'm gonna do it on mine, uh, on the one I'm using with the DV3000, because I've run into that before. I've, particularly when I was messing around with the Link Box, trying to get that Echo Link server to work, the thing would lock up all the time, and I, the only way I could do anything was just, you know, kill it. Yeah, and, and, and you know the little app is nice too. You can, uh, if you if you've got an Android device, you can use that, and I'm sure there's probably an iOS app out there that does the same thing. Um, but you know, it's it's pretty nice. If you don't have an Android device and you want to, you can get them for like fifty nine bucks nowadays for a little one. But yeah. Anyway.
Yeah. A couple mm-hmm. options. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll be back in just a moment, but first we want to get a message from ICOM. From new models to classic radios, there's something for everyone this season. So get out or hunker down with ICOM. Celebrate ICOM's 50th year with the IC7850. Only 150 units are available, and each radio features 1.2 kHz optimized roofing filter, a new local oscillator design with improved phase noise, several spectrum scope enhancements, and distinct gold accents on the front panel and commemorative For contesters just starting out this year, ICOM's IC7600. You get advanced DSP technology and IF roofing filters, dual watch on the same band on an ultra-wide 5.8-inch display. Got cabin fever and need to get away? Get mobile with ICOM's IC2730A and ID5100A. The analog 2730A mobile and digital 5100A with built-in GPS. Both feature optional Bluetooth capability for hands-free operation, 50 watts output power on both VHF and UHF, and a large backlit screen. For entry-level D-Star operation, take the ID888H on the road. Features include a good menu structure and VHF-UHF dual-band functionality, one band at a time. Time. To hunker down or get out, the ID51A Plus is a perfect radio to enjoy global communications. This dual bander has the free downloadable RSMS1A Android app, enhanced DV functionality, and additional D-plus reflector link commands. Make sure you visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM's base stations, mobiles, and portables. Peter, have you got one final email for us? I certainly do, but it's from my friend Ed, VK2JI. Uh, up in New South Wales. Uh, he saw my Linux segment and installed Cinnamon under VirtualBox. Uh, however, he couldn't find the program Simple Screen Recorder uh, when using the Synaptic Package Manager. And I went back and double-checked it, and indeed it is there. It's just one word that you've got to search for. Simple Screen Recorder. Just one word, and uh, I'm sure you'll find it in there. It's a great little program. You can ask me if I have one last email too tommy yeah. do you have one last email I do. Too? that sounds so permanent but yeah i do have one <laughs> just just for this time around <laughs> okay one last one this month yep this one's from scott n7ss says i was watching the latest show and saw the go kits at the ham fest they were very well done thank you for the great show i heard you mention a potential future episode covering go kits i think that's a great idea amateurs constantly have issues with antenna restrictions and operating from home. If these kits are well done, they can be fully functional home stations and roll out for portable operations for vacation, contests, or emergency use. And he, he goes on and gives some links about some other things, uh, some things that he's worked on. And I'm going to kind of, it's sort of long, so I'm going to have to condense, but I'm gonna, we'll reference those when we get back to the, uh, the Go Kit segment at some point, I think. But anyway, he says congratulations on the great work, Scott. So yeah. anyway, appreciate the kind comments scott yeah there were some pretty nice kits there yeah yeah there were um yeah, yeah i think that's the first year they had done that at, at that ham fest yeah that's actually the first time i've really seen it at any well, of them it's it a great idea I'm, I'm sure others are doing it but yeah it, it mm-hmm. i think it added you know something good uh-huh. it's great well i've got one final email for this month <laughs> myself <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And this one was actually written to our friend Mike, uh, the E3MIC. But I'm going to read it anyway because he shared it with me, and I thought it was pertinent. He, um, uh, this originally came from Larry N8NJ, and he said, Mike, first of all, I want to sincerely express how great a job you did on writing the PDF 
on uh, how to set up and install the DV3000 board on a Pi. And he really did do a good job on that. Can you tell me the procedure to set up the DV3000U on a USB port instead of a DV3000 installed on a GPIO connector? Uh, once again, thank you very much for all your work. And keep harassing, for lack of a better word, George, uh, Tommy, and Peter. Well, um, I don't know what to say about that, but yeah, he does. He harasses us pretty yeah, good, especially yeah. around Christmas. <laughs> It's fun. Mike replied to him, and he said that uh, he was very happy to help out. And uh, one of the reasons for putting the guide together was that, you know, Mike and I were, were going through at the same time trying to get the DV3000 to work. And we both kept running into the same thing, that the information was just scattered all over the place. There wasn't one source where you could go and get all the information you needed to uh, get it up and running. And he said, uh, you know, we just wanted to provide something that uh, didn't make any assumptions regarding the viewer's knowledge of Linux, too. Because, you know, he really went into detail. You wouldn't have to know anything about Linux to do that. The companion guide uh, turned out to be more of a living document. Is You know, there's been things uh, come up all along since then that uh, really needed to be put in the guide. So... He just made us a new guide, and we uploaded it today. It is right here. And uh, this one, version 2, includes the minor changes that are necessary to use the Thumb DV instead of the, uh, the GPIO version, and also the changes you need to do this with a Raspberry Pi 2. So thanks, Mike. Uh, you know, great resource. He really did a great job on that, and... You know, I I couldn't have I couldn't have done that by myself, <laughs> taking the time to because yeah, he, he really put the time in. Yeah, he put it. a lot of detail in there. Did, did a nice job. He did. Well, I've got one final little thing we want to look at tonight. You know, I I finally broke down and uh, bought that digital oscilloscope here a couple yeah. of months back, and uh, several of us, you know, from uh, the Amateur Logic group there on Facebook, bought those. But uh, anyway. I haven't had as much chance as I wanted to to play with it, but I did play a little bit the other night, and I decided to record just a little bit of it, just looking at some different types of modulation. And no, this is not the definitive guide on what modulation looks like. And the signals are kind of noisy. I just wanted to play with my scope, and uh, so yeah. I just decided I'd share a couple of minutes oh. of that. You know, for some time now, I've been wanting to retire my analog Tektronix scope for a new digital oscilloscope. And I finally found the right one at the right price. And boy, I can't even begin to tell you the difference between this Rigol DS1054 and my Tektronix analog oscilloscope. There's just so many more things that this will do. And this is an entry-level scope. If you got a new scope, you're going to want to play a little bit. So what better thing to do to start with than look at modulation? See those little waves there? That's just noise that's being picked up by my sampling system over here. This should just be straight lines. The first thing we're going to look at is traditional AM modulation. And that's a carrier right there. You can see how when I modulate it, it adds and subtracts from that carrier. That's why it's called AM, amplitude modulation. Now let's zoom in a little bit. We can use the time delay function of this scope. Up here on the top, we've got the waveform we've been looking at. But down here on the bottom, you see, we can zoom in 
and get real tight, that little area right there where we can see the individual cycles there coming from the transmitter. There's our frequency right there. That's one thing that you don't have on an analog scope. And you can see as I modulate up here, how the modulation is changing the amplitude of the carrier. You can see it down here as well. Now let's switch over and look at sideband modulation. This is single sideband modulation. You can see there's no carrier there except when I'm transmitting. That's because in single sideband modulation, we're only transmitting one sideband of the carrier. And no carrier. The carrier is suppressed. But you can see up here it looks very similar to AM modulation, just on a straight display there. But it pinches down to nothing when there's no modulation. Now let's take a look at FM modulation. You can see there is a slight deviation there with modulation, but it's very slight. And that's probably in the sampling of the scope here. You don't see the amplitude dancing around wildly like it did on amplitude modulation either. What you'll notice is the frequency is changing ever so slightly on the carrier as we modulate it. So there's just straight audio. That's my voice right there. I'm having fun learning this new scope, and boy, there is so many things that you can do with it. I'll never figure them all out, but I'm going to have a lot of fun in the meantime. Man, you guys with those scopes need to keep those things hidden. <laughs> that, I, I, have, I haven't even touched the surface on it yet. You know, that's, that's really an inexpensive scope. That's, that's what you would call an entry level yeah. uh, compared to, to a lot of stuff that's out there. But yeah, there's a lot, that, a lot of features. What would they cost to buy, George? Uh, what did I tell you that was? was Just about under right four, $400. Yeah, US. Right around $400 U.S. It's a four-channel scope. It comes with uh, four probes, yeah. so you don't have to buy any, anything extra for it. There are some uh, upgrades and things you can do to it. It's a 50 megahertz scope, but if you search around, you'll find that it can be uh, upgraded in firmware to basically to 100 megahertz and a lot of other options added to it. So. Yeah, I'm probably going to end up with one one of these days. I mean, it just does a ton of stuff. You know, we, we were looking at, what brand was that we were looking at? in Sigalent or something like yeah. that. I'm not sure how you I, pronounce it. I don't it. remember. We looked at two or three others, but I think the Rigol's probably got the market sewed up as far as, you know, an entry-level scope. That well, it, yeah, for bang for your buck, yeah, yeah. I, I would say so. And especially with the upgrade, you can do to it, yeah. that, you know, right out of the box. Yeah. basically get a 100 megahertz scope for a 50 megahertz price yeah but it, it's the same scope basically they just they just unlock it and the firmware to, right to make it 100 megahertz and, well i want to have a lot of fun with it we didn't even touch a surface on what that thing will do there's so much that, yeah i appreciate know. if you didn't show that thing anymore <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to fire it up over here while you're packing up your stuff so you can have a look at Good, it i'll just pack it up too yeah <laughs> well, uh, we appreciate everyone being with us tonight. Uh, another fun show, and we're going to have another one oh, about this time next month. Huh? Yeah, let's do it again. Let's do that. A couple of things we want to talk about before we uh, leave, and the first one is is what, Tommy? You can join us as we're shooting. We always uh, send these out streaming live, and there's a chat room. We try to interact as we can throughout Amateur the show. Logic dot tv yep. slash chat yep it's right there and uh, yeah yeah we're having a lot of fun in here playing in the chat room and trying to talk at the same time 
Yeah. Doesn't always work out to no, our advantage. It doesn't always work out because I'll be honest, sometimes I get to reading that and I get a little bit distracted. Yeah. So. But the chat room's only there when we're actually shooting live. Well, it's there all the time, but we're not going to be there except when yeah. we're, we're live with it. Another thing, and uh, Peter, what is that? It's the Amatologic Echo Link Net. Do drop in node 355-800, March the 23rd, 2015, at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. Yeah, and one other thing that I will mention, and that's our social networks, we've got a Facebook group for Amatologic. We've got a Google Plus community. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Amatologic. And there's probably one more thing on there I can't see from here, but... Uh, that's it. That's it. Okay. Well, do all of those things, and you'll be more connected with us than um, probably should be allowed by law. But, <laughs> but no, we, we really have a great time, guys. Join join some of our social networks there and uh, interact with us a little bit. We, you know, ask your questions that you've got in there. We don't always know the answer, but usually there's someone there in those groups that does and. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of other entertainment on there, too. We've shown the pictures that Mike, you just saw, that did the guide of VE3MIC mm-hmm. does. So Photoshop pictures, they're they're hilarious. I love watching or seeing those things when yeah. they come up. And a lot of great content over in the Facebook group, too. Yeah. And one other thing, if you want to follow some of the, the things here from the show without going back and rewinding and listening for those links and watching them again, Go to our wiki, and, and there you can find the show notes that Dan and non-LVS does for us every month, amateurlogic.tv slash wiki, details on, on all the different episodes. Yeah, if you if you ask us, what, hey, what episode was that you did so-and-so on, that, that's where we go look for it, too. So that's where can, we go. It's a good reference. Well, I guess we've reached the end of another exciting episode. Yeah, and, and I guess you were right about it. We had a good show. Had a good show. Ooh. And, you know, we were almost on time this, this time. How did around. that happen? And, and everything worked all the way through. Obviously. Oh, did you remember to press the button, George, this time? I did. I, I, we've got four <laughs> different recordings going here, and I know you've got one going there, too. Oh, dear. Yeah. All good. Yeah. So, appreciate you all being here, and we'll see you again next month. Yeah. 73. 73. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Live yes. long and prosper. And don't forget to deface some uh, Canadian currency as well. What? You, What's that for? You, what? No, no, no. You haven't heard. Uh, Canadians are defacing their Canadian currency and changing the or the picture of one of their people uh, to look like um, Leonard Nimoy with the ears. It's oh. quite hilarious. Apparently it's not illegal either to do it. Huh. Live long and prosper. <laughs> yeah, live long and prosper. <laughs> 's it did yeah we obviously overlooked yeah there's no flickering the stream's working
the audio's working. Yeah, we think. Uh, man, I've been uh, pl playing. <laughs> I don't know what I've been up to. Maybe you should ask me that again. Well, Peter, what have you got for us this month? God, I forget. <laughs> uh, pretty cool, Tommy. Yeah, Let you know, I've been pretty again. lucky. We don't need to look at me looking at the wrong camera. The chat. We've uh, got people in the chat room during the show, mm -hmm. and and would people. Yeah, that's <laughs> what we got, all right. 